वसुदेवसुत कंसचाणोरमर्दनम देवकी परमानंदम कृष्णम वंदे जगद्गुरु so we are all uh, studying the fourth chapter of the bhagavad gita and at the beginning of this chapter sri krishna was saying that this is an ancient thing which i have taught you uh, in the two earlier chapters second and third chapters this gyana yoga and karma yoga the way of knowledge the way of um, uh, un- unselfish action and uh, he also reveals that he is an incarnation so this is the first time we see him as an incarnation of god and as an avatar so there are a few verses famous verses about what is an incarnation how is this incarnation different from the rest of us though he appears to be a human being he is not a human being he is a god in human form and then he explains how uh, he comes to be born uh, because of his own out of his own independence with a mission not like us because we are born uh, due to our karma we are caught in the in the cycle of causality whereas god is independent of of causality in fact causality is the power the maya of god um we come here to exhaust the effects of our karma we generate new karma and the whole goal is ultimately to attain enlightenment but incarnation of god like krishna is not here for that not it does not have any past karma to exhaust nor is enlightenment a goal because he is ever enlightened about his own nature so the goal of uh, the mission of an avatar is establishment of religion of true religion spirituality of helping the good overcoming the wicked and so on now what use is this to uh, the seekers of enlightenment so we are spiritual seekers so it's wonderful to know that god comes in a human form uh, that's uh, that's wonderful but what special use it is it to us verse number 9 i think we are done up to verse number 8 so verse number 9 janma karma cha me divyam evam yo veti tatvata tyaktva deham punar janma naiti mameti sorjuna whosoever does truthfully knows my divine birth and work is not reborn after giving up his body he reaches me o arjuna so this is the teaching the one who knows that my birth and my actions in this life are divine are not uh, uh, merely human what is the difference as he has already explained that i am born out of uh, out of compassion for humanity out of independence whereas the rest of us are born out of compulsion from of our past karma we take body after body and exhaust the effects of past karma but the birth the advent the appearance of an avatar is divine the actions of an avatar too are divine we are propelled into action by our desires uh, we engage with the world as as far as our karma will allow good and bad things happen to us because of our karma but the avatar engages in action for the welfare of everybody um, it's it's in line with you know the let us say the mission of god what does god do for this universe god creates this universe maintains it and finally dissolves it again so the avatar is usually uh, krishna for example is an avatar of vishnu 
So, Vishnu is uh, that aspect of divinity which is in charge of maintaining the uh, harmony, the, the, the uh, existence of the universe. So, to maintain harmony, to maintain goodness uh, requires uh, the avatara to establish and maintain and support dharma, righteousness, morality and so on. Um, so, that is the work of the avatara. An avatara can also redeem humanity. So, this is something that is central to, for example, Christianity, that the redeeming power of, uh, of uh, Jesus Christ. That is, in, in the Hindu understanding, that is the power of every avatara. Ordinary spiritual teachers, masters cannot do that. What is this rede redeeming power? What is this saving power? Uh, from a Vedantic standpoint, our bondage is this mass of um, karma, good and bad karma which propels us from lifetime to lifetime and keeps us in bondage in the cycle of birth and death. The avatara can wipe that out and can enable us to reach enlightenment in this very life. The avatara can actually give us that knowledge, which uh, give us enlightenment and freedom. So here he says, the one who knows the secret that I, Krishna, uh, am not an ordinary person, uh, that I am an incarnation of God, the janma, divyam janma, the divine secret of my birth. And divyam karma, the work that I do. I do not do work for uh, self-satisfaction, for my own aggrandizement like ordinary human beings do. I do it for the welfare of all and also without any kind of attachment. So, yo vetti tattvata, the one who knows it in reality. Now, um, there are two perspectives from which we can understand this. One is, the usual way it is interpreted is, if you know, if you understand, believe that Krishna is an avatara of God, once you recognize the avatara or at least believe in the avatara, Rama or Krishna or Jesus or Ramakrishna, an incarnation of God, and you, you have faith, you surrender to the avatara, worship the avatara, that leads to freedom. He says, such a person who realizes that I am none other than God, an incarnation of God, at the end of this life will attain to me alone, does not come back to a new life, unlike others. In the normal course of events, this person too would have gone through many more births until finally attaining enlightenment. But by the special event, advent of an incarnation of God, the person is saved, attains enlightenment. Tyaktvadeham, uh, giving up the body at the end of at this lifetime, that means die, when the body dies, normally that, that uh, subtle body, the jiva, the sentient being, would go from birth to birth, go to other worlds and propelled by past karma, be born again. But this does not happen. If a person has deep faith in the avatara and by the grace of the avatara, then what happens? Mameti so arjuna. Such a person attains to me alone, O Arjuna. That means, becomes one with God, depending upon your, um, your predilection. The dualistic schools would say, you go to the abode of God, you know, the highest heaven, Vaikuntha, and stay in the presence of God. They conceive of mukti or liberation in different ways, but all of which consists of staying in a in the highest heaven, in the presence of God, you still retain your individuality, but it's a very blissful uh, existence for all eternity. They think of, they, they have conceived of Salokya Mukti. You remain in Vaikuntha, that means 
uh, Vishnu, the abode of Vishnu, you go and stay there. You are not born into this world again. Or there is something called Samipya. You not only stay in the abode of Vishnu, but you are close to Vishnu. That means you, uh, you are in the inner circle. You hang out with Vishnu, so to say. So you hang out with God. And then there is um, uh, Sarupya. Sarupya means you meditate on God and you take on a divine form like God. Then there is Sayudya. You become one with God in a certain sense. You retain your individuality, but you feel, always you feel one with God. There are different kinds of mukti. Each uh, there are different grades in mukti too. But these are all dualistic conceptions. In the non-dualistic sense, also this all this still makes sense. By the grace of God, one gets the knowledge. I am Brahman. God can give that. Avatara can give that knowledge. So after death, one uh, is liberated. After the death of this body, one does not come back to this world and gets Brahmagyana and is liberated. For example, the um, now this is actually not a relevant example, but since I have started, let me complete it. The question about Kashi in Benares. Hindus believe that if you die in Benares, you get uh, liberated. Um, so that is not liberation through uh, Avatara, that's liberation through Benares. Um, so in fact, Somebody asked the Holy Mother, is it true that if one dies in Benares, one gets liberation, even if one is not spiritually advanced or whatever it is? And she said, yes. And then this person who was asking pointed to an ant crawling across the floor. Even this thing, they were in Benares at that time, even, even this, this ant, will it get liberation if it, it dies here? And the Holy Mother said, yes. So that jiva who is embodied in that particular ant body at that time is going to get liberation there. Um, Sri Ramakrishna actually had a vision of this, a mystical vision of how this happens in Banaras. He saw um, this dead body uh, which is going to be cremated. Um, he had this vision of the Divine Mother, Annapurna in, in uh, Banaras. She comes and sh uh, he says that he, she cuts the bondage, the worldly bondage, Bhavabandhana Cheda. She cuts the bondage, the worldly bondage of that jiva. And Vishwanath, Shiva in, in, in Banaras, Vishwanath comes and uh, he said he whispers the Tarak Brahma Mantra uh, to that, that departed soul, the, who, the, the subtle body which is still there in, in that dead body. And that liberates the person. Now what is this Tarak Brahma Mantra? We'll be curious to know. Let me hear it right now. But the way an Advaitin would interpret it is Vishwanath or Shiva comes and gives enlightenment the re realization that you are Brahman. But the Vaishnavas interpret it as Tarak Brahma Mantra is nothing other than Hare Rama, Hare Krishna. So, <laughs> you can interpret in different ways. But the, the only relevance of this story would be that by the grace of God, one can attain Brahma Jnana, enlightenment, that I am Brahman, which is the only precondition of, uh, of liberation according to a non-dualist. Uh, a non-dualist might object at this point. So, you know that Krishna is God. If you even know God also, how does that liberate you? Because for a non-dualist, liberation is I am Brahman, that, uh, that knowledge. For a non-dualist, the only rea reality is Brahman, non-dual Brahman. That's the only free entity, the only real entity. Until you know that you are that, how will you be free? So the way around this is, by God's grace, one can get that knowledge. So non-dualist also will not have in principle any objection to this approach. Um, So, here, 
notice a change has taken place. Up to the second chapter and third chapter, enlightenment meant uh, self-knowledge, atma-jnana. In the second chapter, Krishna taught Arjuna that you are the atman which is not born, which does not die, um, which is of the nature of consciousness, which is immortal, which is not subject to any kind of harm, uh, of, of uh, being diminished by anything. So, this immortal, eternal um, being, existence, consciousness, bliss, this is what you are. You have to realize this. And then he talks about how one can be a, a sthita pragya, uh, liberated while living, jivan mukta. That's all there at the second chapter. Now, notice at the beginning of the fourth chapter, from self-realization, the, there's a subtle shift to God-realization. Notice what he says, that I am the incarnation of God. And if you know me in truth, that crucial word is tattvata. Tattvata means in principle or in truth, in reality. If you know me in reality, you will be liberated. So now we have these two things, self-realization and uh, God-realization. Um, the realization of the Atman, I am Satchidananda, Chidananda Rupa Shivoham, that's one. Or um, the Lord, Vishnu or Shiva, in whatever sense you understand God, God realization. So are they two separate things? Are they two stages of one spiritual path? Or are they the same thing? So depending upon your uh, school of Vedanta, a dualist would say, like the Vishishtadvaitin would say, well, first you have self-realization. What is self-realization? That I am an immortal spirit. I am um, not the body, not the mind. I am Atman, an immortal spirit. That you realize, that's self-realization. But that's not God-realization. Above and beyond, higher than the Atman is Paramatman. So there's a distinction between Atma and Paramatma. So your relationship, the relationship of you, the self, to the over-self or the supreme self would be one of devotion. So, Atma is related to Paramatma by devotion. And that realization of the Paramatman is what is called God-realization here. And that gives you final liberation. That's a dualistic approach. Um, the non-dualistic approach is self-realization and God-realization are the same thing. Self-realization and God-realization are the same thing. How so? What is the true self? What do you realize when there is self-realization? Self-realization means knowing what one is. Who am I? Um, and what is God-realization? The difference and the similarity lies here. The Atman is the true nature of the subject of ourselves, of the microcosm. God or Brahman is the true nature of the universe, of the object, of the macrocosm. When you ask, here I am. See, our, all our experiences in the structure, subject and object, every experience we have, whatever we, secular, spiritual, whatever we have, is subject object. I am experiencing this right now. You are sitting there and you are experiencing this. Your computer screen and all the other people there, the class there, all that is object to you and you are the subject. Now, in spirituality, you can ask these two questions. One is a question about what is the subject? Who am I? What am I? That's one question. And the answer will lead you to self-realization, Atma Jnana. The other question one can ask is, what's the reality of all of this? Not what, is it, what it is in detail, that the answer to that would be in science, 
but what is the source the reality behind all this this objective universe the answer to that is god so uh, the theistic religions are this outward oriented religions they ask what is behind this macrocosm what creates this universe where does it exist into what will it finally disappear what is the power behind this universe what is the controller of everything in this universe so answer always is god in vedantic terms brahman but saguna brahman brahman with attributes another term is bhagavan another term is ishwara all of these are synonymous terms it means god the god of religion now advaita vedanta says that the god of religion truly speaking tattvatah as it says here truly speaking the god of religion and our uh, the, the truth about ourselves our self the real self they are one and the same thing tattvam asi that thou art so in chandogya upanishad for example that means brahman the god of the universe from which the entire universe comes and tvam means you the person how can the individual be the uh, cosmic it seems impossible how can i this person be god so the meaning is not that i sarvapriyananda am god that's megalomania that's not spirituality but what it means is if i were to inquire into myself i would find that i am actually not a body i am not even this person sarvapriyananda i am this witness consciousness existence consciousness bliss and god is also this existence consciousness place this infinite being the nirguna brahman through the lens of maya is called god and limited by ignorance a tiny fraction of maya is each of us i'll repeat that limited by a fraction of maya limited by uh, the covering the veiling power of maya brahman itself appears as many 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 sentient beings all of us with the totality of maya the same brahman appears as god so brahman there brahman is nirguna brahman nirguna brahman plus maya or let us if you say plus maya it seems like more uh, let us say nirguna brahman limited by maya becomes saguna brahman saguna brahman is god nirguna brahman limited by a fraction of maya by the veiling power of maya becomes a jiva all the jivas uh, all of us if that sounds complicated sri ramakrishna put it in his uh, inimitable way uh, he said the cobra uh, with a little bit of the poison in its fangs can incapacitate a mouse or a frog it's its prey but all the poison is there in in the in the mouth of the cobra in the poison glands of the cobra it does not do anything to the cobra it is the power of the cobra actually what is death to others what is um, you know like knocks out the prey um, knocks them unconscious but it is the power of the cobra now that sounds rather ominous but in the case of god it's not like uh, god is out to catch us like a cobra is going to catch mice it's rather the power has both aspects it embroils us in samsara and it also sets us free the power of maya is twofold vidya maya and avidya maya avidya maya the power of ignorance which traps us in body and mind and makes us feel that we are limited beings full of desires i will find happiness in this world by um, you know by pleasure and power and wealth uh, and that's the goal of life there's nothing beyond that that's all that there is to life and terrified of 
old age, disease, death. This is avidya maya, me and mine. And vidya maya is um, is um, ahimsa, non-violence, and truth, and self-control, and love, and spiritual seeking, a contentment as far as the world is concerned, and a seeking for the reality of this universe. Both of them are the power of Maya, and both are under the control of God. So, according to Vedanta, the truth of the microcosm, us, and the truth of the macrocosm, this universe, are one and the same thing. Truth of the microcosm and truth of the macrocosm are one and the same thing. Sri Ramakrishna, in fact, there is this little book which I love, which is Sri Ramakrishna Upadesh, the sayings of Sri Ramakrishna, is compiled by Swami Brahmananda. The very first sentence of this compilation of teachings, the choicest spiritual teachings of Sri Ramakrishna. When a human, when the human knows, or let us say, when a person knows what he or she is, the person knows God. It's a rather, I'm not translating it too well. In Bengali, Manush apna ke chinte parle, Bhagavan ke chinte pare. When you realize who you are, you also realize God. Self-realization is equal to God-realization. But to understand this, you need Advaita Vedanta. So it's interesting. The very first sentence in Swami Brahmananda's collection of Sri Ramakrishna's teachings is, is the Mahavakya, the profound this statement that thou art, I am Brahman. So, God realization and self realization are the same. That is what it means, Tattvata, in principle. So, what are the two uh, possible interpretations? When Krishna says, If you know me really, you will get liberation. After the death of this body, you will not come back to samsara. You will attain me. One way is you think of Krishna as God. You have faith in God, you know that Krishna is God, you have faith in God, surrender to God. By the grace of Krishna, you will attain liberation. That's one track, possible. Or the Vedantic way, what Krishna or God really is, that too I am, that is the Tattvata, that is the in reality. In reality, see the wave can never be the ocean, the microcosm can never be the macrocosm. But the wave can realize, I am water. And the ocean is also water. Similarly, the jiva can realize, I am Satchidananda. And God is also Satchidananda. Existence, consciousness, place. Don't be misled by the ocean example. Because immediately what sticks to our mind is, yeah, but the ocean has lots more water. A wave has very little water. It is not like that. It's not that God has more Brahman and we have less Brahman. No, there is no more or less in Brahman. Brahm, that it is an absolute identity, a unity, existence, consciousness, place. Even if you want to use whole and part, you are the whole of it. Each one of us is the whole of it. There is there's one reality only. It's more like um, there, there's a classical example of a big pot, a big jar, and with many holes in it. And there is a lamp, big lamp burning inside that jar. So from outside, you will see many rays of light coming out. There seem to be many dots of light from the, on the surface of the jar. But it's one uh, lamp which is shining forth. We are at one consciousness shining forth through so many bodies and minds. Later on Krishna himself will say, Avibhaktam chabhuteshu vibhaktam ivachastitam Undivided in all beings, I appear to be divided. 
I am the one and the same in all of these beings. There's one reality. But I appear to be divided many persons. Tyaktuadeham punarjanma naiti mameti sorjana. Tyaktuadeham giving up this body. Punarjanma naiti is not born again uh, in, in this uh, world. Mameti attains to me. Um, o Arjuna. Alright. Let me do one more verse. People have raised. Don't forget your questions. The next verse is very important. It tells us what is the spiritual practice. Very comprehensive verse. Actually, if we see, all paths are included in this verse. Tenth verse. Vitaraga bhaya krodha manmaya mamupashrita bahavo jnana tapasa puta madbhavamagata so free from passion, fear and wrath, filled with my power, dependent on me, and purged by the austerity of knowledge, many have attained my status. So, is it something new you are telling me now? Is it very difficult? Only a few people can attain enlightenment? You see, that's, that's the trick that the mind plays. The first objection the mind raises is, all oh, this is not true. Um, religion is not true and uh, it's all superstition. That's the first objection that the mind raises. Once you have overcome that objection, the next one the mind will raise is, yes, it's for uh, Vivekananda and uh, the Ramakrishna and all the saints, not for me. I can't do that. It's impossible. It will raise this, this question again and again. How many attain enlightenment? Very few. So it's not worth it. So walking on this path. So Krishna says, Bahavo Gyanatapasaputa Madbhava Magata. Many, many have attained to my reality. Madbhavam, just consider it as existence consciousness, please. Have attained to me, have uh, attained to my state. What is the state of Krishna, the true state? Existence consciousness, please. Uh, Brahman, pure being, pure awareness. Many have attained to that, or many have realized their nature as, as Brahman. So it's not, uh, it's not impossible, uh, it may only seem rare because we are seeing only a slice of time. Uh, if you look at it through history, many, many people have attained rea realization. And why should we not? Because it is our own, very own nature. Um, so what is he saying here? What are the practices? First of all, most important, manmaya. Be entirely immersed. It should be all about God. So the first thing we have to make up our mind is, are you into this or not? Are you going to be a spiritual seeker? Or what is the word? A dilettante? Uh, you know, just sort of hovering over it. A few books, a few talks here. But mostly it's about my life in this world and nothing more. No. Are we going to take it seriously? That I am going to become a spiritual seeker. In Mahatma Gandhi's words, uh, I am a simple man in search of God. While doing everything. So notice, nobody is asking you to give up everything. In fact, Krishna is telling Arjuna just the opposite. You have to do what you are doing right now. But you have to spiritualize it. But you become a spiritual seeker. Is that, will, will you make that your primary goal? In that case, you have to immerse yourself in God. You have, let God, like a perfume pervading a room, like incense pervading a room, let God pervade our whole life. From morning till night, there should be some God component everywhere in our lives. Uh, 
Manmaya, all about God. And the extreme example, of course, has been shown by Sri Ramakrishna when he wanted the vision of Kali, of the Divine Mother. How he prayed and wept and he meditated, he did the puja, he went, underwent tremendous austerities. All day long he would be at the temple and when the temple finally closed, he would retreat into this uh, uh, dark uh, grove of, of trees and then would sit under a tree and meditate and pray. He would cry, he would weep like a child. People thought he was mad. So that's the extreme of manmaya, be all about me. So when we throw ourselves into God, dive into God, that's the first condition. The other condition is Mamupashrita, you take refuge in me. Take the help of God. See, you often think that it's either free will or God's will. But free will and God's will are not, uh, are not uh, contradictory. Free will and God's will are not contradictory. Um, we are expected to do the best we can and also take refuge in God. Take the help of God. In fact, when we actually start doing spiritual practice, japa, meditation, prayer, uh, the Vedantic inquiry, we realize very soon how limited we are, how frail we are, how helpless we are. And we also feel the presence of God. We naturally take the help of God. It's a very immature spiritual seeker who says, I'll do it all on my own. To God, thank you, but no thank you. No. If one is really wants God realization, one would definitely take the help of God. Even an Advaitin, non-dualist, would first of all seek Grace of God, Ishvara Kripa, uh, grace of the Guru, Guru Kripa, grace of the scriptures, the Vedanta scripture, Shastra Kripa. And the most important, Atma Kripa, the grace of the self. I must be grace, uh, full of grace towards myself. I must agree to do this. So notice the two things. On one, one side, a full-hearted effort from myself. And on the other side, uh, taking refuge in God. At every moment, acknowledging, depending on God. Uh, taking the help of God. Uh, it, it is a very, very great power in life. I think even people who want worldly things and they pray to God, go to a temple and church and sincerely pray to God, even for a worldly thing, they are also very wise and they are very fortunate that that much faith is there in God. So, faith and surrender in God, Mahamupashrita, then the grace of God comes, Anugraha, Anugraha means the grace of God. At the same time, effort. It can be both ways. There can be a person who has a lot of effort. There, there are very great spiritual seekers, sadhakas, spiritual practitioners, very austere, very saintly. Um, but that component of grace may be lacking. I'm reminded of a very touching story I read about Swami Turiyanandaji, Sri Ramakrishna's disciple, when he was in Banaras in his old age. So monks would gather around him for advice, for study, for blessings. And devotees would also come. Now at that time in Banaras, there was um, a sadhu, Shantinath, who was very well known at that time by other, other monks, especially in the monastic community. Very austere person. I have read his life. Uh, most of the time he was a mauni. That means he was under a vow of silence. He would not speak. And ate once a day, I think only what people bought him. Um, he was clothed in just a loincloth and nothing else, remained in a tiny little cell um, 
for years and years and throughout the day meditated and prayed. But he would come out and come to Swami Turiyananda, who lived in the ashram, our Ramakrishna Mission Ashram, which is a hospital there. So there's a very touching description of how this silent monk, who did not speak to anybody, but he would come and sit on the floor in front of Swami Turiyananda. The description is, he would look beseechingly at Swami Turiyananda and extend his hands like this. Like, like he's asking for something. Others did not know what was going on. Like he's asking. And Turiyananda, very lovingly, he loved that monk. He would say, um, Oh Shantinath, oh, oh my child Shantinath, you have done so much. Now leave it to the Divine Mother. In Baba Shantinath, Anek to Kurle, Mayur Kriparupar Chedadav. So, he acknowledges the tremendous effort put forth by that monk, but also teaches him about the necessity of uh, divine grace. After all that effort, but your realization, uh, the vision of God, whatever you want spe- uh, specifically, that will come by the grace of God. You have not earned it by your efforts. Um, one monk who went to the Himalayas wrote to the Holy Mother. So those letters would be read out. Letters from monks and devotees would be read out to the Holy Mother and she would dictate a reply. Ma Sharada. So this monk wrote that, please tell the mother that I have been in, uh, in, in Rishikesh for a long time and every day I do so much japa, the mantra, I repeat the mantra thousands of times. But Thakur, Sri Ramakrishna has not blessed me with a vision yet. So how much longer should I wait? The Holy Mother was quite curt with this monk. She said right back to him that uh, is God a sack of potatoes that you can purchase at the market with, by paying <laughs> some rupees? No. God will, uh, will show himself when his grace depends upon you, uh, descends upon you. When, when his grace descends upon you, then only you will see God. And then second thing <laughs> she said, write to him. He is a monk. What else will he do if he does not meditate and repeat the mantra? So it's, it's no great uh, credit that you have been repeating the mantra thousands of times every day. But what else will you do? You are supposed to do that. Maamupashrita. Then what happens? By the grace of God and uh, by my own efforts, by the combination of two, Vita Raga Bhayakrodha. One goes beyond, one purifies oneself of Raga, desire. And also implied dvesha, aversion, ragadvesha. One purifies the mind of uh, passions and, um, and repulsions, you know, attraction and repulsion, ragadvesha, likes and dislikes. These things which pull us and tire us in samsara. The force of that is reduced. The mind gets purified. Mind becomes a little calm about the world. Bhaya. Fear. One reaction is fear. When does fear come? What I want, maybe I won't get it, anxiety. What I do not want, maybe that will come to me, COVID-19 or something like that will come to me, anxiety, fear. Or what I have and I want to keep in my life, maybe I'll lose that, fear again. Um, Something bad is there in my life, maybe it won't go away, (laughs) again fear. So, fear comes in these ways. They are all connected to ragadvesha, likes and dislikes. And when our desires are obstructed, krodha, anger, 
So, our passions includes both raga and dvesha, pull and uh, the repulsion, and fear and anger. See, Swami Vivekananda said, especially fear. There's one word that comes out of the Upanishads is fearlessness. It is fear that is at the root of misery. It is fear that is at the root of uh, evil. And people are bad because there is at, at the root there is some fear. Fear leads to, it strengthens desire. Fear strengthens this uh, attachments and hatred and beneath it there is fear. Upanishads ask us, Vedanta asks us to or helps us to rise above fear. See, one goes above uh, raga, dvesha, bhaya means fear and one goes above, one, one transcends anger. These things will go down. It will not, it's not like a switch being thrown. One day I was shaky and scared or I used to lose my temper quite often. Now I am the most serene um, person that you ever saw. Not so fast. But it goes down. One Swami put it very nicely. He said this, um, the frequency of these up upsets, I feel nervous or angry um, or upset. That used to happen every now and then. But now it is much less. So the frequency will go down. That shows progress. The intensity will go down. Earlier, I would be seized with a dread. Maybe fear was my problem. Or I would fly into a rage if anger was my problem. Now, it's, it may be a mild uneasiness or it may be just a flash of irritation. It comes and goes. So the, the uh, frequency goes down, intensity also goes down. Also another sign of progress is recovery. The time takes to recover from an upset. Uh, whether it is depression or anger. Earlier, maybe for days together I wouldn't feel like doing anything. Um, or... I would carry the anger for days and weeks and months, a lifelong enemy. Huh? I was just reading about people actually cultivating enmity. Uh, I think it was the famous painter Picasso who said, who wrote some harsh things about some art critic. And somebody told him, but he has not said anything uh, bad about you. And Picasso was behaved as if he was, uh, he looked as if he was stunned. He did, you don't realize this small thing. How can I do great work unless I have great uh, hatred? <laughs> so, I must have a great enemy somewhere to fight against. Then only my work will come. Well, don't be like that. Uh, so, the frequency of anger or depression, it will go down. The intensity will go down. And uh, the recovery time also will go down. Now it just comes and goes. There is a saying about monks, Shadur Rag Jalet Dag. The anger of a monk, that means a monk also does get angry, but the anger of a monk is like a, a line drawn in flowing water. A line drawn in flowing water. When there is a stream and you try to take a stick and try to draw a line there, as soon as you are drawing it, it, it goes away. So the anger of a monk should be like that. Anger of a spiritual seeker. Depression of a spiritual seeker should be like that. Um, I liked saying Teresa saying, you know, that a sad nun is a bad nun. Sad nun is a bad nun. It should not be sad for any reason. Why should a monk or a nun or a spiritual seeker, the one who has decided, I want God and nothing else in life. Whatever else comes and goes, I'm fine with it. Why would you ever be unhappy? There's no reason at all to be unhappy. I actually made a faux pas with that. The one time I said it, 
in a public gathering that was many years ago in Santa Barbara. And that's a convent where there are nuns. So <laughs> when I quoted this, a sad nun is a bad nun. One of the nuns uh, sitting in the front uh, glared at me and said, monks too, <laughs> not just nuns. Um, yes. So, this is called Chitta Shuddhi. It's an important point. This lessening and cleansing away of the passions and lusts and anxieties and fears and anger and hatred. This lessens, declines and is washed away. This is called Chitta Shuddhi. Um, purification of the mind. Chitta Shuddhi. In Vedanta, this will be manifested as the fourfold qualifications. In Vedanta Sar, we are studying Viveka, Vairagya, the six treasures and Mumukshutvam, the ability to dis uh, discern between the eternal and the non-eternal, dispassion for the non-eternal, um, the six treasures, I am not going to talk about that, and the intense desire for freedom. All of these come when this stage is completed, this stage of the cleansing, the purification, purification of the heart, that is another term. This happens. Then what is the next stage? Jnana tapasa by the austerity of knowledge. What is the austerity of knowledge? So the austerity of knowledge is Shravana Manana Nididhyasana, Jnana Yoga. You come to Vedanta, you study, think about it, dwell on it, stay with it, hearing, reasoning and contemplating or meditating until it becomes a living reality. Um, what happens by all of this? Puta. Puta means um, purified. One is purified. Um, so the impurities are at three levels. Uh, mala, Vikshepa, Avarana. Mala means dirt. Dirt at the level of the mind. What is the dirt? This kind of um, passion and anger and, and depression and fear. All of this is dirt. Spiritual dirt. This is cleansed. That's the first level of impurity. That is cleansed. One becomes, one has a pure heart. You know, in the Beatitudes, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, you see, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So the purification of heart happens. The second level, deeper level of impurity, is scatteredness of mind. Uh, is the distraction. And we live in an age of permanent distraction, including these gadgets which we are using. They are also a cause of distraction. So this distraction, concentration is necessary. That focus is done by meditation on God. Meditation on avatar is very powerful. So somebody asked the Holy Mother once that, I can't meditate. My mind is restless. Then she said, my child, just look at the picture of Thakur, of Sri Ramakrishna. She said, just looking at the picture of, this is the only photograph we have of an actual incarnation. She said, just looking at the picture is as good as meditation. Just sit quietly and look at the picture. So meditation on God is a very powerful way. In traditional in Vedanta, this stage is called Upasana. What does it do? It removes the impurity called distraction, scattered mind. And then the subtlest level of impurity, the deepest level of impurity is called Avarana, veiling. I said originally that we are the same Brahman under the influence of a fraction of Maya. That influence is Avarana, veiling. That is removed by knowledge. Jnana tapasa, Jnana tapasa, Shravana Manana Nididhyasana, hearing, reflecting, meditating. Can't you do that for everything? No, there are instruments which are helpful at each stage. You can't, the example I like is, 
Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana, Vedanta is like a scalpel. It will make, it will do the final operation. But it, it is not, it's no good to you take a scalpel and use it like a shovel. If you need to remove a lot of dirt, a shovel is much better. You can still do it with the scalpel, but you'll damage the scalpel and it'll take an awful long time. So, at each stage, the practices are different. And all of them are nicely summarized here. Purified mind, concentrated mind, and um, not the mind with knowledge. Ignorance is removed. So then what happens? Madbhava magata. One comes to my state. It did not say one sees me, gets a vision of me. No. Comes to my state. What is the state of uh, Krishna or God? Satchidanandan, Brahman. One realizes I am Brahman and one is free. So this is a very good verse. Let me just take some. So many people have asked questions. Um, Jayant? Swamiji, Namaste. Namaste. Um, Swamiji, I, you know, in, if you look at verse 9, the word Divyam, the interpretation of the word Divyam, if it is changed from, if we don't use the word divine, yes, use a term like all-encompassing awareness, uh, then what you said before really doesn't need to happen, like in chapters 2 and 3, where there is only uh, the invocation of the consciousness. Hmm. But here, we transition into the invocation of God, the concept of God. Yes. And perhaps there is a difference in the way we are interpreting and translating the words that were supposed to have been translated. Some may have some other meaning in the past. Uh, from where I look at things, Krishna and Buddha have exactly the same way of looking, of, of positioning themselves and talking about what enlightenment is. So if we take care of that word, the interpretation of that word, then the continuity between chapters 2, 3 and 4 continues. And there is one more thought, Swamiji. I'm sorry, sorry. There's one more thought, which is when, you know, uh, I've always struggled with this idea that in India we have all these different Devi and Devtas. And my interpretation has always been different. I've never seen this like a transactional relationship where you invoke God for a transaction uh, and do so through prayer. For me, I've always somehow, as crazy as it sounds, I've always thought of prayer as a way where you reduce your ego and through the reduction of the ego, your consciousness arises. It rises to a higher level of consciousness. And in that act, we connect with our deepest nature. And again, we don't really need to invoke the concept of God in this. All right. Uh, I see where you're coming from. You can do that, but the text won't support it. You see, what will happen is, how do you then, um, how do you then uh, um, interpret the seventh and eighth verses whenever there's a decline of dharma then i come forth um, i i uh, help the good and uh, overcome the wicked i re-establish dharma uh, how is that to be interpreted if it is not uh, by god i have given this teaching at the beginning of creation to manu i have revealed these teachings from age to age um, so the theistic part is very strong here 
you cannot ignore it um, one so a person who is who finds it difficult to believe in god will not be particularly inspired by these uh, by these passages but vedanta uh, understands you can go in either path you can go in the path of self realization that is who am i or what am i and you come into this awareness that being awareness or one can go in the path of um this theistic religion there is a god then that that god we accept on faith and then you worship it is the same reality which is within us but which is now projected outwards uh, you you may not personally need it that is not the constitution of your uh, mind but there are many people who do need it so vedanta that way is very all encompassing the second thing which you said about not being transactional very good that's the higher kind of religion the what what one might call spirituality i am not praying to god worshiping god because i need things in this world but again one must be compassionate one must be inclusive you cannot tell the 90% of people who come to church and temple and mosque in different places including buddhist temples also for fulfillment of clearly worldly objectives somebody is sick somebody um, needs money some so whatever or just blessings for you know people need support psychological support to live in this world it's very uh, it's a very fortunate few who have had such blessed lives that they they have not faced a lot of suffering so the psychological support provided by god even to persons who do not have uh, right now an expressed desire for enlightenment it will come next in the, in the in one or two verses um in fact the very next verse it will come that krishna will say whatever you want from me i will give you that it not not just enlightenment so yes praying to god reducing your own ego becoming more aware of your true self that is the higher uh, spirituality no doubt that's what vedanta is about but the transactional level of religion also should not be uh, despised or condemned uh, remember most of religion through the ages has been this transactional level of religion and krishna does not krishna will say they too are my devotees he'll clearly say those who have come for transaction right now in fact he will say okay let me see some of the other questions jayant I can't I can't un- unmute you should be able to unmute Yes yes now I'm Pranam yeah. Maharaj so uh, I think you partly answered this but the way the text was going in the verse 7 and verse 8 it would have been very similar in verse 9 had the word tatvatah not used huh. but it seemed that it was deliberately put there so that depending upon our attitudes we can pick the meaning correctly out of true that word is very important tatvata that gives the a uh, gate a gateway to the non dualist to equate god realization with self realization um, for the dualist this is wonderful you realize that i am i am krishna i am the incarnation of god and have devotion and faith and surrender and you will be liberated uh, but for the non dualist somebody who say who does not want to walk the theistic path Uh, who just wants to go by an investigation into what what is real into into oneself the gate is there tatvata in reality 
what you are doing in reality when you investigate yourself, the same thing the devotee is going to reach, but by a more scenic route. Jayant, next. Yeah, Swamiji, I, I have some questions on karma. Yes. If I understand correctly, karma is accumulated in some sort of memory as either merits or demerits in the subtle body, in a, in a latent state. But when is it activated to shape an individual's life? Right. Is it activated only as the, in the next birth or can it activate itself tomorrow or even a nanosecond later after the generating action? Right. For that matter, what kind of action accumulates karma? Are there actions that are neutral, like non-generative karma? Can a thought generate karma? Right. So these, um, I am not particularly interested in the intricacies of that. They have been worked out in detail. For example, more than Vedanta in Buddhism, more than that in Jainism. Jainism takes karma to uh, a very great, uh, in, in a very great detail and and length and depth. Why I am not interested in the details is, I take it as a principle that actions have consequences, cause and effect. It's a reasonable assumption to make because we use causality to explain everything, even science is causality. So to think that there would be something in this world like moral action which has no cause, um, consequences, it would be rather strange. So karma is a very reasonable assumption actually. Uh, but about the details. Well, I can give you some details from a Vedantic perspective. Where, what exactly is karma and where does it stay, first of all? So, when we do something consciously, there are these three uh, effects. One is the physical effect which you see just now. You give uh, food to a hungry man and the man eats and is satisfied. That's the uh, actual effect, physical, right now. There's a psychological effect. Once you repeat that action of sharing food, uh, it sets up a good habit. A psychological a tendency in the mind which is good you know, that you have a tendency to share and you feel the joy of sharing with others so that's the psychological effect but there is here is the uh, crux of the law of karma uh, that a certain cosmic effect is set up let us say uh, you have done something good quite apart from the actual benefit delivered quite apart from the effect on your mind see the actual benefit delivered and the effect on our mind there's no need to doubt it there, there is obvious there is there's an effect we, there's an effect on the world outside and there's an effect in our psychology. But beyond that, you have done something meritorious which is dharma and there is generated a merit for that called punya and that's a cosmic effect. That stays in, in the books of account maintained by God. You know, we have this Chitra group, Gupta, this, all these ideas are there in our mythology. So, it's a cosmic credit and debit account and it will give results. That's what's accumulated. That's our past karma. Quite different from the tendencies set up in our own mind. Uh, so that will give results usually in the next life. Why in the next life? Because this life is uh, dominated by what is called prarabdha karma. The karma already activated. That's what has given us this body and set out certain parameters of this life. So what we are now doing is generating new karma. Uh, it is called agami. It will, it, it will contribute to an already existing storehouse of karma and will probably be activated at some point in the future. But that's again, I have heard that these are generalities. A very intense kind of karma, good or bad, can give results in this very life itself. Um, yes, 
but I wouldn't go down to the level of so if I kill a mosquito would I be reborn as a mosquito in the next life no I wouldn't go down to that level of detail and <laughs> intricacy there's no way of knowing um, uh, all those things again you know spirituality is not about really the law of karma it's about coming out of the law of karma law of karma is basically worldly it is that which ties us to samsara it is the very nature of samsara to be free of the law it is bondage basically to be free of the law of karma that is spirituality one more thing the law of karma is a good preparation for spirituality if one does not accept the law of karma one does not believe in it one sinks to an instinctive level that I'll be good as long as the, as the cops don't catch me or the IRS does not catch me. I'll be good. But I'm just good only because I'm being observed or you know, there's a fear of punishment. There's no internal moral compulsion. Uh, but if I realize that my actions have consequences regardless of what society does. I will pay for everything that I do. And I will get rewarded for everything that I do. Good and bad. Then it becomes... A, a deep understanding, one becomes very careful about karma. The Tibetan Buddhists, for example, take this very seriously. So one becomes very careful about karma. One has ascended from an instinctive level of living uh, to a conscious and deliberate way of living. And spirituality is beyond this. This is still within like a give and take, you know. You're just, uh, you're still within the realm of causality. Okay. Why is this uh, taking so much time? You can unmute yourself. Hey, Pranam Swamiji. Namaste. Uh, so, Swamiji, this is the start of uh, Navaratri in India yes. already. And um, you have mentioned a few different times, I think, that um, as we progress in the path of non-duality, even though we are attracted to the beauty or simplicity of the Advaita. We recognize our inability to make that final, <clears throat> final uh, frontier, if you will, you know, getting there and invoking the uh, divine grace through the divine mother is one of the simpler, I don't know if I'm paraphrasing it properly, something to the effect that uh, mother is easier to to please, if you will, you know, to, to grace us with this, uh, I don't know, to even uh, give us the power to surrender properly, if you can give us some practical... I understand, yes, yes, I understand. What is the question then? Uh, how, do, how does one um, who's on the path of Advaita or is attracted by the Advaitic path and recognizes the uh, inability to, you know, get the final embrace of non-duality, and wants to invoke the divine grace and, and you wants to, you know, sort of follow the mother, mother's grace, if you will, you know, how does one go about doing that? And how does one even uh, sort of get to that, through a sense of surrender to the mother so that uh, they, she, she can guide the rest of the way through? Prayer, prayer, definitely. 
this question was asked by the Holy Mother. They were in, in Banaras. Swami Brahmananda was there in Banaras. Um, the Holy Mother Masharada was there. So she sends this question through somebody to Swami Brahmananda. Ask him, why does um, a spiritual seeker, one who wants liberation, why do they need to worship the Divine Mother? Um, and Swami Brahm Shakti, why do they need to worship Shakti? Swami Brahmananda sent back the reply promptly. Because the keys to Brahma Jnana are in the hands of the Divine Mother. One must realize that what we are doing here right now, every bit of it is, you will say it's your karma. Yes, but even karma, deeper and more powerful than karma is God. It is God who gives us the results of karma. It is God and the avatar who has the power to wipe out certain karma and give us what we might not actually deserve because of our karma. Lord, God is always called karma dhyaksha, the lord of karma. Karma is, so whether you call it God or the divine mother, same thing. Um, Sri Ramakrishna used to say, what you call Brahman, Saguna Brahman, I call that Kali. So divine mother and Saguna Brahman are the same thing from a Vedantic perspective. All that we are doing here is entirely by the grace of the Divine Mother. That's one thing that Totapuri had to learn. He was enlightened. He had attained Nirvikalpa Samadhi. He, re he realized that he was Brahman. But one thing he did not realize, he felt that he had done it all on his own power. But that he had certain advantages. This um, great desire for God-realization from childhood. Uh, he had become a monk at, at a young age. He had a, a fairly strong and robust body, a very pure mind, a very concentrated mind, um, ability to grasp Vedantic teachings, ability to meditate deeply, completely detached from the world. But they were not his qualities. They are all because of the blessings of the Divine Mother. So the Divine Mother can enable us. Uh, she is already doing that. The very fact that we are interested in God-realization, we want to study the Gita, that is all by the blessings of the Divine Mother. So, by prayer to the Divine Mother. And if you want, you can repeat a mantra in this time. Uh, some devotees I know, they are repeating um, uh, Jai Shri Durga. Jai Shri Durga, few thousand times a day. Uh, that's a good practice. And then uh, Navaratri. Um, or if you have been initiated, if you have your own Ishta Mantra, you repeat it. And at every point, take refuge in the Divine Mother. In your worldly life also, in your spiritual life, definitely. All right. Thank you. Uh, uh, Swami, I have a question, like uh, practically, when I try to inquire, and uh, I try to sustain a long thought, kind of, uh, trying to understand a specific concept. Uh, often the other thought comes saying, uh, drop it, just be, uh, look uh, stay in the present and in this like if I listen to that and actually just uh, become uh, the pure like observ observer in this moment the thought stops like it doesn't continue so what would be the practical advice uh, for me should I kind of still continue to try to inquire and use thought process to understand the concept or actually it's uh, like the other option of uh, purely being present in the moment is uh, a higher choice. Both of them are necessary. In fact, purely being present at the moment, what you call that, or what you're saying, is good as a preliminary. It calms down and settles the mind. 
sit quietly, be present in the moment, follow the breath if necessary and then inquire. Because being present, what you just said, being present in the moment, just being, that does not depend upon you doing it. If it, you feel that I, if I'm thinking, then I'm not being. Uh, if I stop thinking, drop the thinking, then I am being, I am, I am existence then. No, that is not true. Even in the midst of thoughts, even when you are doing the self-inquiry, even when you are working in, at office or whatever um, external activity we are concerned with, in the midst of all of that, you are being, you are existence itself, you are that absolute. That will not come by sitting quietly. That will come by the process of inquiry. You begin to see that that which was, which is there most powerfully, most evidently when you are sitting quietly, meditatively, just being. And when you see the mind working on a particular thought train and following it, it's the same being which watches that. Or is it a different thing? No, it's the same thing. When you say, I am just being, I drop the thought, that's a state of the mind. Very obviously, because it comes and goes. When you say, I am pursuing a particular line of inquiry, a thought, that's also state and activity of the mind. What watches both of them, what illumines both of them, what gives existence to both of them, that is being. And that must be realized in knowledge, not by a meditative practice. Let me do one verse more, because I just mentioned it. Eleventh verse is interesting. So the question might be, so by your grace one attains to enlightenment. Then why aren't you gracious towards everybody? Everybody could attain enlightenment and we'd be done with all of this. You wouldn't have to come to class every day. We could all just be, you know, enlightened straight away. Eleventh verse, Sri Krishna says, Ye yathamam prapadyante tangsthatheva bhajamyaham mamavatmanuvattante manushyapartha sarvasham Whatsoever manner in which they approach me, in that very manner I resort to them. For O Arjuna, on all sides men tread paths leading to me. The basic idea is whatever is going on in samsara, good, the bad, the ugly, the spiritual and the non-spiritual, the Lord pervades all of it equally. The Lord pervades all of it equally. Um, so, why don't you enlighten people straight away by your grace? You know, just said that you can remove the burden of karma by your grace. You can give enlightenment and so on. No, what the Lord does is the Lord gives what we want. Ye As people approach me for different things, um, when somebody asks me for money. I don't give enlightenment. I don't send the person to a Vedanta class. Uh, when somebody asks, like, uh, asks me for you know recovery from a disease, so I don't um, tell them to order the Drik Drishya Vivek from uh, Amazon Prime. No. Swami Vivekananda said, it's an insult to teach a starving man metaphysics. So, the Lord gives exactly what we need, and that's not bad. Why wouldn't he give enlightenment to us? He is giving enlightenment to us. It's just that we are in so much of a hurry. Uh, the Lord gives it to us at the right time. Because we need these experiences to progress at this time. 
So we ask for it. What you genuinely ask for, God will give you. Um, there was this book became very popular. Was, I think it was called the miracle or something. That what you ask for, the universe for, the universe will respond with that. There's a certain truth to that. This is not literally true because what you ask for and what we get, it's limited by our karma. The secret, yeah, Rick says that that's a secret. It became very popular. The secret, the great secret of the universe is if you consistently ask the universe for something, one particular thing, focus on it, hold on to that. Don't get deviated from that. You will get it. It became very popular. Is it true? Yes and no. Definitely if you focus on something and you ask for something and you design your life around it, it's not illogical to see how you might get at least some of it, whatever you're asking for, money, knowledge, fame. But will you get it exactly what you wanted? Not necessarily, because what we actually get is also limited by our karma. Our past karma weighs heavily on us. So we may make an effort, we'll get something, maybe not up to what we wanted. But anyway, the God gives us what we what we want. And that's how we progress. So uh, Shankaracharya in his commentary says, those who are who want moksha, liberation, to them I give knowledge, Vedanta. Those who are knowledgeable, to them who have, who have got realization, to them I give moksha, liberation. Those who are, he says, artan, those who are in distress, artiharanena, by t- removing their distress. That's how I help them. So as people uh, pray, what they pray for, as they approach me, in every path of life, whatever they are treading on, they may think I am not at all spiritual, I am not at all religious, I don't believe in your God or Krishna or anything like that. They are still treading on my path. All of those paths are God's paths. Then it's good, then why should we be interested in Vedanta? Well, take your time. Swami Vivekananda half seriously said, take your time. If you don't want to take your time, there are many, many lifetimes. But why suffer for lifetimes? If one has got this much, in Hindi they say Shubhamati, that means uh, a good understanding, a blessed understanding that God exists, spirituality is possible, it's the most valuable thing in life, life is short, uh, in the language of the imitation of Christ, the vanities of life are many, uh, but life is short and fleeting. If you have got this much understanding, then catch hold of God first, catch hold of a spiritual path, whichever path it is. So that is the verse. Ye yathamang prapadyante. As people approach me, whatever, whatever they seek of me, taang stateva bhajamiham. That's what I grant unto them. Mama vartmanu vartante manushya partha sarvasha. From all directions, whatever path people are working, walking on, those are my paths. And indirectly, they ultimately lead to God realization. Spirituality, walk the path of Vedanta or any genuine spiritual path, it will directly lead to God realization and the fulfillment of life's goal. All the other paths. Wealth, popularity, even I would go so far as to say crime and evil, even those also ultimately by long and winding ways, lot of suffering involved, many lifetimes, they lead back to God again. Okay, uh, we have really gone over time. Um, we will take this up in the next class. Om Shanti 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 Harihi Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupa Namastu